0: Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. We want to welcome you as we look to God's Word to answer questions from Christians. Once a month, we at the Franklin Church devote a lesson to answering questions submitted by our members and guests. In January of 2005, we took a look at a question regarding God's Law on Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. Please open your Bible and study with us as we examine what we have to offer those who are divorced or remarried. This month, the question that we're going to ask is a little bit of a paradox for me. And I say that it's a paradox because it is a simple question to answer in some ways, and yet a very complex question to answer in other ways. The question that's been submitted is, as we reach out to take the gospel to our friends and neighbors, we'll inevitably come across those who are divorced and or remarried. What do we have to offer them? I say it's somewhat a paradox because while I study the Scripture and it becomes more and more clear to me what the Scripture says about it, and therefore it's an easy question to answer, at the same time, the more and more people I meet and find out about the messes they've got themselves into, sometimes I find it a little more difficult to apply what I know the Scripture says to them. It becomes a little bit more complex. It's easy to answer... Because I think the Scripture provides a simple statement about what God expects from folks. And yet, sometimes it's complex because folks at every turn have a dozen questions that sometimes can muddy the waters. All that being said, I recognize, as with every question we ever answer here on our second, now third, Sunday night of the month question and answer, I could be wrong. I recognize that. If in any way, after we're done tonight, after I show you what I believe the Scripture says we have to offer those who are divorced and or remarried, if you think I've missed something, if you think that that I haven't shown what the Scripture accurately says on that, please feel free to come talk with me. I'd love to study the Word of God together with you because for me, this is all about helping folks go to heaven. And I want to be able to teach the truth to help people understand God's Word so that they can go to heaven. As we examine this question we're going to do three things. First of all, we're going to talk about why this is an important question. Then we are going to discuss what we have to offer those who are divorced and or remarried. And then we're going to talk about what we should teach those who are divorced or remarried. So let's begin by just asking why is this question important? Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16, I think, cuts to the heart of the matter. If we want to know why it's important to ask what we have to offer those who are in this situation. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16 says, God speaking here, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God says, I hate divorce. If we turn to Mark chapter 10, under the New Covenant, Jesus had this to say in Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 2. Recognize that some of the Pharisees were coming to Jesus and asking Him a question. And I want you to pay careful attention as we read Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 2. Recognize what question the Pharisees asked. And then notice what Jesus' answer is. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 2, some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. What's the question? Is it lawful to get a divorce? That's the question. What does Jesus answer? Beginning at verse 3, he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, in verse 5, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. What was the Pharisee's question? Is it lawful to divorce? What was Jesus' answer? What God has joined together, let no man separate. What we find then is that divorce is not just a bad thing. Divorce is not just an inadvisable thing. Divorce is a sin. When Jesus was asked, is it okay to divorce? He said, no. That's why this question is important. Secondly, as we continue on looking in the book of Mark here in chapter 10, verse 10, in the house the disciples began questioning Him about this again. And He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Why is this question important? Because not only is divorce a sin, but further, if we get married again following that divorce, the remarriage is adultery. Very plain, very simple. Divorce is a sin. Remarriage is adultery. We do recognize, of course, that Jesus provided for one exception to this general rule. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9, In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9, a parallel passage dealing with this same situation provides a little more information. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And again, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, this time during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was preaching. He said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. We find one exception. Divorce because of sexual immorality is not a sin. And the remarriage after such a divorce is not Adultery. But that's it. That's the only exception. Every other divorce is a sin, and every other marriage after those divorces is adultery. That's why this is important. And I want you to notice something very clearly as you remember Mark chapter 10, as you take a look at Matthew chapter 19, as you look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32. Jesus was not providing new covenant teaching. He was not coming up with some kind of New Covenant law that only applied to New Covenant Christians. If you read those texts, you'll recognize He went all the way back to the beginning. Remember, as He talked to the Pharisees, what did He say? He said, from the beginning, it wasn't this way. Jesus' law for us today is not based on something strictly for Christians. It's based on God's initial institution of marriage. It is God's universal moral law for mankind about marriage. Man and woman are to leave their parents, come together. And what God has joined together, man is not to separate. Clearly, under the Old Covenant, God made an exception for the Jewish people. He allowed them to write a certificate of divorce. But we're not wanting to be Old Testament Jews, are we? We're wanting to be God's children based on His covenant now. His covenant for us is based on His universal law. That man and woman are supposed to come together for life and no one is to separate it. That's what God has said. And that's why this question is important. Because if I am preaching the gospel or teaching someone who is divorced and or remarried, I may very well be speaking to someone whose sin has separated them from God And who's continuing in that sin, continues to keep them separate from God. Do you remember what Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says? Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. The Scripture there says in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. That's why this question is important. Because just as we teach anyone who commits any kind of sin, we have to talk to folks about the sins they're committing so that they can be reconciled to God. But what do we have to offer folks that are in this terrible situation? Really, we have the same thing to offer those who are divorced and remarried as we have to offer anybody who has committed any kind of sin that has separated them from God. I think perhaps one of our major problems with this issue is we've set this one off on the side as though it's somehow more important or different from any other sin. But it's not. It's the same as any other sin. And therefore we teach the same thing to those who have committed this sin as we do anyone else. We have the same thing to offer those who have committed these sins as we have to offer those who have committed any number of sins we have, first of all, God's sanctifying Word of truth. We have that to offer to them. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He was there with His disciples and He prayed. And in John 17 and verse 17, He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. We have this Word, which is God's truth, which can sanctify folks who have committed any number of sins. Many people today are in the exact same situation as the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 20. Chapter 22. I knew I wasn't giving you the right chapter. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 29. But Jesus answered and said to them, to the Sadducees, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures, nor the power of God. There are a lot of folks who have committed this sin simply because they do not know what the Scriptures say. And they don't know the power of God. They don't know what God has said and what His will regarding this matter is. And they are mistaken because they don't know the Word. But we can bring that Word to them. You remember Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6? In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, the Scripture says, "...My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge." Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. There are many who are destroyed for lack of knowledge, but we have that knowledge to offer to them. We have the knowledge of the truth. We have what God has said, and we can bring that to folks. And let them see, here is what God's will is for you. John chapter 8, and verse 32 says this, You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. We have that life-giving, bondage-shattering, sanctifying Word of God to offer those who have committed any sins, including the sin of divorce or the adultery of unlawful remarriage. But that's not all. In addition to that, and actually through the sanctifying Word of Truth, we have to offer those who have committed this sin a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember Isaiah 59 and verse 2? It said that our sins have separated us from God. But Jesus died in order to wash those sins away. Jesus died in order to reconcile us to God. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. In First Peter chapter 3... And verse 18, the Scripture reads, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He died for us, the just for the unjust. Colossians chapter 1. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 21. Paul said, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Our sins separate us from God, but a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the One who died for us, will reconcile us and bring us to God the Father, holy and blameless. I'd like for you to go back to Matthew chapter 22 and just point out one thing as we consider this. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30, there when the Sadducees had asked about the resurrection, remember this. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. We need to recognize that every marriage is temporary. But a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is eternal. Our marriages will not continue on once this life is over. Our marriages, even the lawful ones, will not continue on in eternity. But our relationship with Jesus will. And as we consider this and what we have to offer, we need to recognize that what is important is not necessarily a temporary marital happiness but an eternal contentment and happiness based on a relationship with Jesus Christ, having obeyed the truth that He has offered through His Word. That's what we have to offer. The sanctifying Word of truth and a soul-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we provide that, what are we going to say? What do we teach? Well, as we go out, remember the question was actually about evangelism. As we go out and we're teaching folks and we perhaps find someone who is in this situation, what do we teach them? We teach them the same thing we teach anybody who has sinned. We teach them from Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the Scripture there says, so then faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We teach them that they have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the saving message that Jesus has died for us. In addition to that, we go back to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and we find that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We teach that they've got to believe that gospel. And they need to confess their faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll take them to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, we read to them where Peter on the day of Pentecost said, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift here is a reference to salvation. we teach them the exact same thing. Hear the Gospel. Believe the Gospel. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent and turn away from your sins. And be baptized for the remission of your sins. Of course, the crux within this list is repent. Because we recognize that repentance means turning away from sin. Repentance means no longer committing that sin. Repentance means I've thought through this again and realized that what I was doing was wrong and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to serve God and I'm going to do things His way. And so as we teach repentance to those who have committed the sin of divorce and the further sin possibly of an adulterous remarriage, what do we say? As we teach repentance, let's just break this down. If we're if we're teaching someone who is divorced and we want to talk to them about repentance, what do we say? If we're talking to somebody who has divorced their spouse or put them away because that person committed sexual immorality, we recognize from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, and from Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9, that Jesus provided that exception. Their repentance, they don't have to repent of their divorce because their divorce was not unlawful. If they decide at some point down the road to marry someone else, assuming that person has a lawful right to marry, it will not affect their relationship with God. Therefore, we recognize that as far as repentance goes, we need to deal with them with other sins. Not this one, because they haven't committed a sin if they divorce their spouse because the spouse committed sexual immorality. But what if they're the person who has been divorced, has been put away because they committed sexual immorality? Based on Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, the Scripture says that if they marry someone, they will be committing adultery. Repentance for them means then that they recognize that their adultery for which they were put away was wrong, that they'll no longer commit that sexual immorality, but they recognize that they will not be able to marry anyone else. If their original spouse is still able to marry, if they haven't gotten into another lawful marriage, perhaps they can reconcile together. But other than that, what Matthew 5:32 and Matthew 19:9 9 teaches those who have been put away because they committed sexual immorality, it teaches them that they must remain unmarried, because to marry anyone else would itself be adultery and sexual immorality. What about those who have been divorced for any other reason? I think for that we can look to First Corinthians chapter seven, verses ten and eleven. In First Corinthians chapter seven. Verse 10 and verse 11. The Scripture says, "...but to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife." The Scripture here provides two options. The person who has put away their spouse must either remain unmarried or be reconciled to that original spouse. I'd like to dig a little bit further on this. I recognize that what I'm about to tell you is a little bit controversial. I recognize that perhaps you won't agree with it, but I'd like to share it with you just for you to consider. I recognize I might be wrong. But I believe that Paul here has simply provided us the two options without giving them any priority or without explaining exactly when those options are viable. But through studying the remainder of Scripture, I think we recognize that there's more to this picture than just if you're divorced for any reason... You can stay unmarried or be reconciled. I just want you to think about this for just a moment. Perhaps we can talk about it more later. Just share this with you. I want you to consider what happens when we marry. When a person gets married, they are making a commitment, a vow before God. We actually even say it, typically, in our modern marriage ceremony, till death do us part. In Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 2, Romans chapter 7 and verse 2, Paul wrote, For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, excuse me. so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. This teaches us that marriages until death do us part. That's the commitment. That's the vow before God when we get married that we're making. I am going to be with this person until death. Vows are not to be taken lightly. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4 says, When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, For He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Don't let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the Messenger of God, Well, it was a mistake. That vow was a mistake. I shouldn't have ever made that one. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Vows are to be kept. And when a person breaks a vow, what does repentance demand? Does repentance demand just simply an admission, well, it was wrong to break that vow, but I'm just going to keep on doing it? Or does repentance demand reestablishing that vow and continuing in it when possible? I would suggest that repentance says that if ending the marriage was wrong, then repentance means I should pursue the fulfillment of that vow and reconcile with my spouse the way God says I'm supposed to in the Scripture. Remember Psalm 15, verse 4? Psalm 15, beginning at verse 1, says, O Lord, who may abide in Your tent? Who may dwell on Your holy hill? Verse 4, the last statement says, He swears to His own hurt and doesn't change. Who gets to dwell with God? The one who makes a vow. And even when the vow comes back to haunt them and hurt them, they don't change. That's the one who dwells and abides with God. One further illustration. If I were to steal, I think I've demonstrated this to you before, if I were to take Jimmy's car, and I became a Christian and I repented, Would repentance equal just saying that was wrong, I shouldn't have stolen Jimmy's car, but I'm going to keep it? Or would repentance demand wherever possible for me to reinstate what I've stolen? I think in the same situation, repentance does not demand just admitting, oh, it was wrong. Repentance demands, I'm going to do what's right and honor the vow I made. However, we recognize that the other person may not be willing. They may not want to. We may go to that person we may strive to reconcile with them and we might find that they're already married or that they're not the least bit interested in coming back to us. What then is our option? First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15 I think helps us out a little bit there. It says, If the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother and sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. If that spouse is not wanting to honor the vows and not wanting to do what the Word of God says, as we strive to... Make it work. And it says we're not under bondage in that case. We're not under bondage to try to maintain that marriage or to chase them around and be the husband or wife of them that we are wanting to be. However, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 11 points out that in that case we have to remain unmarried. I think as we look at the Scripture as a whole, it demonstrates that this statement in 1 Corinthians 7 and 11 is not just some blanket statement that trumps everything else in the Scripture on these issues. But rather, when we look at Scripture, that there are situations when these two options apply. Just something for you to think about and consider as you study this for yourself and as you teach others. What about the person who is not only divorced, but also remarried? What do we teach them about repentance? Well, again, if they divorce for sexual immorality, and they've remarried somebody else who had a lawful right to marry, We don't have to teach them repentance about that. That's not a sin. Their remarriage has not affected their relationship with God. It hasn't separated them from God, and it's not continuing to separate them from God. We teach them that they need to honor their marriage vows for the marriage that they're in and teach them that what God has joined together, man is not to separate. But what about all the others? Those who have been put away because of sexual immorality? and remarried, and therefore committing adultery, are those who have been divorced for any other reason and are now for remarried and committing adultery. Well, we just have to show them what Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32 says and what Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9 says and what Mark chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say. All those passages that point out that in that situation, if you're divorced and you've remarried, you're committing adultery. And to repent of that adultery, you've got to stop. You've got to get out of the marriage. That's the only way to end the sin of the adulterous marriage. Of committing adultery. While the old law had a different law regarding marriage... We do learn from God's old covenant people what He expected of those who found themselves in an unlawful marriage. In Ezra chapter 10 and verse 11, starting in verse 10, Ezra chapter 10 and verse 10, the children of Israel had come back from bondage and they had married foreign wives, which was against their law. And in Ezra chapter 10 and verse 10, Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You've been unfaithful and have married foreign wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do His will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. And that's exactly what they did. And I want you to notice in Ezra chapter 10 and verse 44, All these had married foreign wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Brethren, I understand the emotional response that we often have. I recognize that many times remarriages are happy. They've had kids and things are going well. And I think probably that was the case for a lot of these marriages. I think that's why that verse is there. But if it's unlawful, remember that marriage doesn't last into eternity. Better to have eternal happiness than just some temporary joy or pleasure. Obey the law of God. End the unlawful marriage. And then go back to what we said regarding repentance for those who are divorced. What do we teach? We teach them, they've got to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, confess their sins, repent, excuse me, confess their faith in Christ, repent of their sins, and be baptized for the remission of, of their sins. And through that, they can be saved. They've got to repent. Please keep in mind that our question was focused on evangelism. When we go out and we teach the Gospel, we're going to find people in this situation, and we certainly are. But this is really not different than anything else. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. says, "...enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction." And there are many who enter in through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. This sin is no different than others. There are a lot of people that don't want to give up homosexuality. There are a lot of people that don't want to give up drinking. There are a lot of people that don't want to give up covetousness or materialism. There are a lot of people that don't want to give up their lust or their outbursts of anger or their hatred or their vengeance. And brethren, there are going to be a lot of people that don't want to give up unlawful marriages. I know that. But that's what Jesus said, that's the way Jesus said it was going to be. But I want you to know, from personal experience, I can confirm that there are people who, when they hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, they want salvation so bad they will give up all of those things. I've seen them do it. And when they do it, don't feel sorry for them because salvation has come to their household. Oh, I know it's tempting to stand up and say, oh, I hate to tell you this. Oh, I wish God hadn't made it this way. Oh, I don't know why. And oh, I feel so sorry for you. Don't feel sorry because the person who takes the narrow road, whatever it is, they must give up. Salvation has come to their household when they do it. And in that, we ought to rejoice with them. And lift them up as our example. Because they are an example. What's our duty? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 5 and 6. Paul said, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Our job is simply to teach. We teach lovingly. You can teach folks this and you can still be friends afterwards just like you can teach them anything. And certainly if folks don't want to listen to this, they can find a church that will teach them that it's okay. But if we're going to teach them the truth so that they can be made free by the sanctifying Word of truth and having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, we've got to teach them what the Scripture says. To repent of their sins and submit to Jesus Christ. I hope that this has been helpful to you. I hope it's given something for you to study. Again, as I pointed out earlier, I recognize really with every lesson, not just these questions, I could be wrong about anything. Obviously, I don't think I'm wrong. If I thought I was wrong about it, I'd change, wouldn't I? I I don't go around teaching things that I believe are wrong. However, I do believe I could be wrong. And therefore, I'm more than willing to study anything with you about this. I will, I'll I'll just tell you, I know that when I start studying these things with folks, sometimes I'll get a little bit loud, but I still love you. Just like when you get loud with me, I know you still love me. We can disagree, but we can do so agreeably. If you have any questions about it, feel free to see me. I'd love to study God's Word with you as we strive to help folks go to heaven because that's what this is about. This isn't about upholding some kind of church doctrine. This isn't about some group somewhere that called themselves the Church of Christ that said this is our doctrinal position and we're going to hold to it no matter what. This is about freeing people from the bondage of sin and helping them go to heaven. And that's what I want to do. And I think you do as well. I want to thank you again for studying God's Word with us at the Franklin Church of Christ. I hope this lesson was helpful. As I said when I preached it, we would love to study God's Word with you. If you have any questions about what you heard in this lesson, feel free to let us know by calling 615-794-2359 or contacting us through our website at www.FranklinChurchOfChrist.com. While you're at our website, feel free to check out the numerous other lessons we have available in manuscript and in audio format. If this lesson was helpful to you, please let others know about it and pass it on. If you have any questions about marriage, salvation, or the Franklin Church, please let us know. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.